Well, I want to say a huge thank you to uh, the home team here. We've had uh, two days of conference, the Global Leadership Summit. And uh, in case you've not heard of it, that's not pretentious. The, the description, the adjective global, it truly is global. And we were one of uh, 100, I get the figures muddled up, uh, 112 different cities around about that that were hosting this leadership summit. And the joy of it is that lead, church leaders and business leaders from every imaginable background, as far as the church is concerned, every imaginable types of churchmanship come together, centered on their belief that leaders can improve and get better at leading. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, of course, we believe that Jesus is our leader and we can learn much from him. And so, so there is this, this wonderful sense of, of people wanting to come together to learn about the art and indeed the science of leadership and uh, share a, a two-day experience. And we've had teams from, from churches all over the, the southeast. We've had about 400 delegates the biggest one we've ever run, and we had uh, at least 70 volunteers here uh, at various times. And the feedback we've already had from the, the delegates is, is just uh, overwhelming. It's almost embarrassing. And the things that they really remark about is the quality of the care, the hospitality, the, the greeting that they got in this place, the way they were taken care of. The teaching, I have to say, the sessions were very good too, but that seems to be the thing that struck them. And so, uh, you know, uh, you did good, guys, and I, I would just like us all to clap the neighbor next door who was involved in it. Just make a mental note. Next year, if you weren't on the team, sign up or, or book in. We had a number of our folk were here on the conference. Okay, well, uh, once again, I want to welcome you. My name's Chris Lane. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we started a series two or three weeks ago entitled Beyond. And, and usually in the autumn, we, we, uh, we do something to try and help us to go deeper. And uh, this is a series, the, the talks that we're going to be looking at mainly through November are all designed to sort of take us on a little bit deeper. And I think we've got a Beyond logo, haven't we? And this one's called Beyond Words, Beyond Words. Last week, Rick uh, taught on Beyond Belief, and uh, really what he was doing there was, was trying to, to, to tease out this, this emphasis that it's not just... Um, assenting to the concept of God that matters. I believe in God. You know? It's not just even believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead. It's about letting that influence and affect the way we live our lives. It, it's not just some sort of coffee, dinner table type uh, philosophy that one discusses from time to time. It's something that if it's really hooked in and really working should influence our worldview and the way we are in the world. So Rick was expanding that, and if you missed it, as I did, I was down in Reading with Dennis. We were at the vineyard there um, preaching, and they send their greetings, by the way. Uh, anyway, if you missed Rick's talk, catch it on the, the uh, podcast. So this week's then is Beyond Words. I'd like to just pray, and then we'll get straight into it. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you because uh, as we desire to go deeper, as we find ourselves restless with superficiality and just doing church, as we begin to press into you, so we find that, Lord, you yield to us and invite us in with enthusiasm and warmth. 
And Lord, I pray that every single one of us would get something out of this morning's talk that would be, would be challenging and encouraging and, and thought-provoking, something that, that would last beyond just this morning or this day, that they would consider as the week and days go by. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So really what, I, what I'm getting at here in this, this morning's talk, Beyond Words, is, is really actually, uh, I'm thinking about how does God speak? If you hang around uh, Christians for any length of time, particularly Christians in our kind of church, and there's many churches that are like this kind of church, they will say to you at some point or another, I thought God said to me. Well, what does that mean? You know, I know what that means to me, but what does that mean to you? And particularly if you're exploring this thing called faith, what, what does that mean to you? And so I want to start by saying this. You know, I, you know, I have heard, make of that what you will, the audible voice of God a couple of times in my life. But I've been a Christian for many, many years now. But I would say that every single day God speaks to me. And what I mean by that is that God communicates. God communicates. And I, I expect all of us know that, that communication experts say that only 10% of communication is, is word. The rest is body language and all these other things. So, so God communicates. And so when you know, we... When we say God speaks, we're saying God has communicated to us. And this title is a little bit contentious because it says beyond words. And I want to start also in my introduction here by saying that, you know, he speaks beyond words through his word. And, and that is a bit, I really, a bit of a paradox there and a bit of a tension there. But I, I want to say right at the beginning that... That in my daily reading, and millions upon millions of Christians have found this to be true over the years, that as you read God's word in a, in a careful, thoughtful, prayerful, disciplined way, God speaks you out of it. You find that there are things that are speaking into your life, shedding insight and, and influence into the situations that you find yourself. You know, something seems to jump out at the page at you, and you find yourself needing to spare a moment's thought just to consider that, how that applies to your life and something you're inquiring of God about. God speaks through his word. And in fact, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I love that description. God-breathed. It's more than wood pulp and ink and a bit of leather if you're lucky. There's something about it. There's life in it. There's God's life, his breath through it. You know, they say that, I, I was hearing a little report this week, and I was only caught the end of it, but it was about um, the lady who wrote Frankenstein, and they were saying it was the first genuine science fiction story ever written. What was that lady called? Anybody know? Something like that. Yes, it was like, we don't ever do that. And I'm sure it was all right. But you know the story, those of you, I mean, it's a classic sort of horror stroke science fiction. You know, they get the body parts and they sew all the body parts together. But of course, it's not just the parts, is it? It's not just getting a good brain, a good head, a good torso, good legs, good all the rest of it in good confined condition. 
There's something missing. This is more than ink, more than wood pulp, more than leather. It has life in it. And God speaks to us through it. So I want to say right at the beginning, before I have any emails and letters or points of contention, we believe in this church and in many others that God speaks through his word. And in many ways, it is the interpretive key for everything else I'm going to say. Because I'm going to... I, I, could, I could do a weekend seminar. In fact, truth is, as some of you know, I've done weekend seminars on hearing the voice of God. And I'm not going to be able to look at them. I'm only going to look at two or three of them. But whatever the means by which God communicates to us, the scriptures, the Bible should be in the interpretive key. So if something comes to you because of a, a sunset that you've seen or whatever it is, does it line up with scripture? Is it, or is it cutting across that? And as followers of Jesus, we have to say, no matter how profound an insight it seemed to have been, when you saw that swallow fly into a nest or something, if it doesn't, if what you're reading into it doesn't align itself with Scripture, well then, you're out, you're out of kilter. The Word of God is all, always the interpretive key. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. Second point in my introduction, this may sober and surprise you, is that God speaks through the church. Boy, I do wish it wasn't so. Because I, as somebody who's been in the church for many years now and led church, I, I am honestly all too aware of our failings. And it, it, it concerns me that, that what we do and how we are represents to the world God. But actually God has decreed it that way. It's it's, again, not me or this church being pretentious. He has said, you are my body. Christ is the head, but you are my body. You are my hands, my feet, my, my heart. You are my body. And that's an incredible responsibility. And what we are communicates to the church about God. It communicates something about him. And uh, scripture says this, doesn't it? That in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, it says this, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and, ready and read by everybody. It's as if we are a letter to the world, a love letter to the world. Boy, am I heaping it on myself this morning. Boy, doesn't that help? Doesn't that make it easy? We are a love letter to the world. To use another image, we are ambassadors. And again, this is a scriptural image. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are a little bit of wherever we are placed, just as you know, the, the foreign office has uh, consuls throughout the world in, in foreign lands, and God forbid you lose your passport or get in trouble, you can, you, know, you can ring up the consulate. It's a little bit of England there. And wherever you are, you are a little bit of the kingdom of God. God speaks through the church. And we've really got to get our heads around that and step up to the plate. Because it's no good just being smiley and welcoming here. There's got to be something about us of the reality of the kingdom of God when we're out there. We are ambassadors, a love letter, if you like, to the world. God communicates through the church. And the third one in my introduction, a little bit of an obvious one, but I have to say this. I have to say this by way of my introduction. God communicates through Christ. And in some ways, I want to loop back into Rick's word last week by, with this little bit of scripture from John chapter 1, verse 14. 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I think, have I got that up there? Fine, great. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's worth pressing this point home this morning because... You know, when you read about the stories of Jesus in the memoirs of his followers in the latter part of the the Bible here, one of the first things that people noticed about him was that he seemed to teach with authority. He he was a teacher and a preacher, and he, he, he taught from the Word of God. And people said, What is it? What is it about this Jezus? When he when he speaks, it's I want to hit. I want to hear what he's saying. He, he seems to have authority. So they noticed that he was a great teacher and a preacher. And then right at the end of his ministry, one of his closest followers had been with him all those years, been through a, a lot of you know, high points and low points. One of his followers, Philip, came to him and said, Jesus, there's just one more thing I need from you. Just show us the Father. Show us what the Father is like, and then I'll be satisfied. And Jesus, it was a good question. It was a good question. But Jesus, you could almost detect a little exasperation in his voice because he says to Philip and the other followers who were around at that time, he said, oh, Philip, haven't you got it yet? Don't you you get it? If you've seen me, Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in Christ, when we read his teachings, we've got more than just his words and his wisdom. But the way he is with people, the way he is with his followers, the way he is with the Pharisees, the way he is, you know, as he pours himself out and gives himself, is in of itself communication beyond words. I'm going to throw up three or four images now which will highlight various ways in which God speaks. And some I'm going to skip through and others are going to move more quickly through. But uh, let me just, let's begin with this first one. And this one is maybe no surprise. But I wanted to throw up an image of the crucifixion for the simple reason that, you know, as they say, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. You could pop down to St. Albans this afternoon, you could go into Argos, and you could have, there would be a choice of eight or nine silver or gold crucifixes in a variety of styles, which you could then buy and wear as a piece of jewelry. But think about it for a moment. Just think about it. Just look at it objectively. What is it that we're wearing around our neck? And I'm not saying it's wrong. You know, I've, I've worn crucifixes. I don't wear one at the moment. I've nothing against them. We're wearing the image of a man being grossly tortured to death. Eusebius, one of a, a contemporary Roman historian, contemporary Roman historian, asked the question, is it Can we truly be civilized if we dispatch our enemies this way? Can we truly be civilized, call ourselves civilized, if we dispatch our enemy this way? So we're walking around with this little crucifix on our neck. And it's a a nice piece of jewelry. Oh, that's nice. Where did you get that from? Argos, how much was it? I like that. We have lost something there. 
Now, I could honestly preach a great series on this. I see my dear friend David Payne's here this morning, and I, I don't know anyone better to preach on the cross than Je- about, of Jesus and David. So I'm going to do a bit of a lame job of it this morning. But I want to just draw three things out of this, this image here. What are we looking at? First of all, God speaking through words. And I made reference to this in the, in the communion time. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, when you stand at the foot of the cross, figuratively speaking, you have to look up. God is worthy of our worship. And even in this state, Christ, who is God, is lifted up. He's saying to the world, whatever you think of me, I am God. I cannot pretend not to be. I am God and worthy of worship. Secondly, he didn't have his head chopped off, go to a gas chamber, had a, you know, a lethal injection. He was crucified. And the second image is arms spread wide to embrace the world. The Romans just thought they were dispatching somebody in their customary barbaric way. But the symbolism, the communication beyond words in the crucifixion is extraordinary. Lifted up, worthy of our worship. Arms thrown wide, pinned there in an everlasting embrace. Embracing the nations of the world. And thirdly... And this picture from that harrowing film, Passion of the Christ, does it well. A body beaten and broken for the sake of love. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but many of you will have known the pain of being jilted in love. Losing a loved one. Falling out with them. Even in the context of a, of, of a long-term relationship, such as I and my wife have... You know, we occasionally uh, have rows. It's usually when she doesn't agree with me, actually. But, um, <laughs> but we have rows. And, you know, there are rows and there are rows. Some rows, once in every 18 months or so, Fliss and I will have a humdinger of a row. It doesn't, the words don't last more than an hour or two. But the pain of it... Last some days, we wound one another in those moments. Wounded for love. And somehow or other, by the grace of God, and sometimes it has just been the grace of God, we, we turn towards one another again and we weep on each other's shoulder and we forgive one another. Usually she has to forgive me more than I forgive her, but that's the way it is with guys, isn't it? And, um, but there is that coming together. Because although we are wounded, we yield to love. And here we have Christ speaking beyond words of the pain of true love, the cost of true love. For those of you who aren't aware of this, followers of Jesus believe that God himself was crucified. He substituted himself for the sins of the world. Our shame, our regret when we have victimized, when we've been victimized and wanted revenge, however it turns out, God himself was bearing the sins of the world on the cross. So 
I've spent a little more time on this one because it's worthy of it. And there's much more that you could sit and reflect upon. And many do. Just sit quietly before the image of the cross and trying to get the jewelry and the Argos thing out of their head and just consider Christ. Sometimes he's naked on the cross. Sometimes he's in glory in the Russian icons and Greek Orthodox icons. There are, there's things to be seen that speak deeply to us about God, his character, and his love in that symbol that has become so familiar with us. One or two others now that I want to go through very quickly. God speaks through creation. In Romans chapter 1, God said, the, the word of God says that you know, everybody has been moved at some time by some wonderful sunset or beach walk or hill view or mountain range or, or waterfall or even just a couple of sparrows looking a bit wet on your bird table in the garden on some wintry February day. We're touched by this. And, and what the Word of God says is that every single living being has within them that, that gene that responds to the natural world. And it speaks of God the Creator. It speaks of his love and his passion for detail. Nothing is too small. Even a sparrow falls and dies and God marks it when we carelessly rush by. The word of God paints his love of creation in this way. And I am one and I'm sure many of us here have been moved by, by you know, a view like that. God speaks to me. And it's not just wow very often it's when I'm on holiday and I've got time to take in the natural world a little bit more. And it's what I see there seems to communicate to me. And it's something I bring back into my busy life here in this southeast of England. And, and it stays with me and it influences and informs and, and grabs me in that way. So yes, God speaks through creation. Next one I've got here. God speaks through... Uh, Circumstances, world events, and boy, we've got that in spade loads. Did you hear the news last night about in Japan the Bank of Origami, origami folded last night? <laughs> Rick told me that, made me laugh, and I said, I'm going to steal that off you. So I stole it off him. Bank of Origami folded, I think that's great. Uh, we can laugh, and maybe that's a good thing to do, because quite frankly, I find it perplexing. Anybody else find it perplexing and confusing? And doesn't seem to see what, a, what we do. It seems to be going pear-shaped, and I'm not sure what that means for any of us. I know my pension, which I've been fastidiously trying to save for, on a pastor's salary for many years, doesn't look like it's worth zippo at the moment. But thank God, you know, I've got a, a God in heaven who communicates and helps God speaks through circumstances, and two or three weeks ago when I launched this series, I spoke about Jesus' message, the first words that are recorded in the memoirs of, of Mark about Jesus' message, and he says, repent, repent, the time has come to repent, for the kingdom of God is near, it's upon us. And what I was fascinated to learn and, and, and communicated to you guys, I hope, at the time was that biblical scholars say he's not just saying turn away from your sins and turn to God. He's actually calling to a nation. He's saying you have been chasing after wasted and outdated and uh, uh, ideologies. 
Turn away from them. It's time to get a kingdom orientation, a kingdom perspective. So it is a call to personal repentance. Of course it is. But he was doing more than that. He was operating on the, grand, the macro as well as the micro, saying, saying to a nation that was still waiting for another King David to ride over the hill on a white charger to rescue them from the naughty Romans militarily and reinstate them as the, you know, the God's own nation in, in the Middle East. He said, forget it. It's past. That was then. This is now. This is now. Get into God. It's the only safe haven you can find. And that's a message, I believe, that has poignancy and uh, is appropriate for today too. I I mean, I'm going to have to trust God for my old age the way it's looking. Because certainly our fund managers aren't going to be helping me too much the way it's looking. Circumstances. You know, I'm often reading the papers. I, I, I like a, a number of people, in, uh, like preachers I know, I, I watch the news avidly. I read magazines. I watch the current affairs programs. I read widely. I dip into lots of things. I've mentioned science fiction. Not so much these days, but those of you who are science fiction buffs will know of Isaac Asimov's trilogy called Foundation, which was written 20, 30 years ago. There is a fascinating, fascinating uh, parallel between that series, the Foundation trilogy, and the way China now, we are all in debt to China. And in this story, this Foundation trilogy... A little nation doesn't try and beat all the big guys militarily. It doesn't have a hope. But what it does, it starts making the best washing machines and the cheapest hoovers and the best radios until the whole universe is buying their stuff from them. And everybody else's industry goes down to pot. But it's all right because this this little nation, this little world is making all their stuff. And then one day, one day, this little nation says, tough, it's going to cost you a lot more. And gains control of cosmic, universe-sized economies. Extraordinary things. God speaks through culture, through, through circumstances, through nature. God is communicating. In the Old Testament, there was a tribe, the men of Issachar, and they were commended because they understood the times. We need to be people who understand the times that we might know what to do. So yes, circumstances are, are often um, indicative. God is speaking to his people, the church, through all of those things. The last one is a personal one because I think this is, I mean, this is just something that I haven't, sh- to be honest with you, I, I don't know whether I've ever shared this, but, but this is something from my own life. A very lovely little picture here, boy with a cart. Sometimes God speaks into our lives And we miss it. And I miss this one. I'm going to tell you about one I missed. But there were extenuating circumstances. I, uh, some of you will know the story, I I had my first encounter with Jesus in my very early teens and struggled with that for a while. And then I fell away. That's the jargon. I, you know, was a full-blown teenager and a full-blown young man. And when I was in my 20s, and I told this story recently, I had a wonderful renaissance, a new beginning with Christ, and that kicked all this stuff in. But in my mid-teens, I went to drama college. That's where I met Fliss. 
And we arrived at this drama college in central London, the Arts Educational Trust. In fact, I think we've got one or two. We've got a lecturer here um, who, who is, is on the staff of the AET. I'm not going to embarrass him this morning. But, um, but we went to the Arts Educational Trust, and, and uh, there were about 15 or 20 of us in, in the year group, and uh, induction day, the first day, and we all go into the auditorium. It was the old Golden Lane Theatre right by the Barbican there in the centre of London. Wonderful place. And uh, they said, okay, we want year one to come straight into, into the conference room. We've got something to, to tell you. So there were dancers and singers and actors and all going, kept crazy all over the place. And we went off this 15 or 20. We never met before. And we went into this uh, conference room and we all look eyeing each other up, you know. And uh, the lecturer comes in. He says, okay, okay, the way we run this uh, joint I seem to recall him calling it that. The way we run this joint is that each year does a production every three weeks. It's a rolling program. It's a bit like professional repertory company. I'm sorry, guys, but you're the first up. I mean, we'd only. I mean, my my plimsoll bag wasn't even on the hook yet, you know. (laughs) You're up, and then this guy kind of says, "Okay, where the guys?" And it was great. There are about 18 women and six guys. I was one of them, by the way, you know. Not the women, the guys. And uh, he says, okay, guys, stand up. So we stood up. He goes, okay. He looked along the row, and he saw me, and I, I, I knew something was going to happen. And he said, what's your name, then? And I said, my, uh, Chris, Chris Lane. He said, look down the list. He said, oh, yeah, Chris Lane. Okay, Chris, we haven't got time to mess around. You're going to take the star role in this first play. I tell you, my head just went boring like that superstar already, you know. I knew it was going to come. And he said, and the play is an interesting one. It's by Christopher Fry, and it's called Boy with a Cart. Uh, it costs you three quid, but if you go down to uh, the um, uh, foyer entrance, there's some copies there. I need you to get a copy of that. And with first rehearsal, 9 o'clock Friday, be there. And I'm just on cloud nine. And I go down there and I pay my three quid and I get this copy of Christopher Fry's Boy with a Cart. And, and this, is a, this is an interesting play. The story is about a boy who gets it into his head that he's going to build a church. And uh, he's sent to a town. He has his mother with him to begin with. She dies during the course of the play. And uh, he rallies the villagers to build this church. And then as the church is almost finished, they discover that the king post, which is a crucial beam in the middle of the, the sort of main part of the church, is actually out of true. And the carpenters wrestle with this throughout the night because it threatens the whole integrity of the building. And, and in the end, the only person left wrestling with this king post, trying to get it into shape, is the boy himself. Anyway, scene cuts to the villagers. They're all outside in the kind of town square saying, oh, it was a stupid idea anyway, and all these kind of things going on. And suddenly the boy comes out and he looks elated. And they say, what, what is it? What's the matter with you? you uh, various questions. And he said, I was in the church wrestling with the king post when the master carpenter came in. And he has a vision of Christ who sets the king post right. It's an extraordinary play. 
And we read it thinking, this is a weird play. And I was way from God. But, you know, God was speaking something over my life even then. Even though I was way from God, God was speaking to me and about me, about what he had in mind for me as a church planter. Now, many of you have been with me nearly 20 years, and, and we've wrestled with a few king posts along the way, and I expect to wrestle with a few more. And always the master carpenter comes in eventually and sorts it out for us. But really what I'm saying about this is that God may well be speaking or have spoken over your life. You just haven't got it yet. It just hasn't clicked yet. The penny hasn't dropped yet. doesn't matter. In my last 10 minutes, I'm going to hopefully give you a few clues and a few things that might help you with that. So anyway, let's say God has spoken to you through his word. Let's say God has spoken to you through a prophetic word, a dream, a vision, a whole host of other ways. Maybe he's spoken to you through creation. Maybe he's spoken to you through some sort of circumstances. Maybe, you are, you, may, maybe you've really got a sense that God is saying something to me. And I know many of you have that experience on a regular, regular basis. Well, we would call that revelation. Something is revealed. Some, some hidden secret is revealed. Revelation. And, and many of us get a revelation from God, get an insight into God, his plans, his doings for us, our family, our friends, our work, or whatever it is. We get a sense of revelation. God is saying something to me. And we do a hop, skip, and a jump, and it's an exciting moment. And if you're a, if you're a journaling type, you'll, you'll write it down in your little private diary. Dear diary, on such and such a date, God said this to me. You know, and that's a great thing to do and thoroughly recommended. The only thing is this, folks. I've found that all too often we tend to leave it there. It's like, oh, great, God said something. Wow. And people, you know, when you get to know them, if they're followers of Jesus, if you really ask nicely and if they're in a very good mood, they might show you a whole list of things that God has said to them over the years because they saved them. And rightly so. I mean, if God spoke to you, wouldn't you want to write it down? But, you know, it's only one step in at least three. In at least three. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, gosh, I would love God to speak to me. I don't think he ever has. Well, here's, here's where the talk really presses in for you. I dare, I dare you to ask God to speak to you. Don't tell him how to speak to me. Lord, if I go into that greengrocer's and there's only three oranges left in the tray, then that means that I sell all my shares and buy gold, all right? Don't do it. Don't do that. Just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm listening. I really am listening. You know, God is not dumb, nor is he unable to communicate. It's just we're often too busy to listen. First thing. Second thing then. Okay, you've got your revelation. You've written it down in your... Dear diary, and, and it's there. The next thing is you really need the interpretation. Now, that may seem obvious, but actually, I'm surprised that, that Christians, when God speaks them, don't spend more time, in fact, more time than it took to get the revelation, asking for the interpretation. God, what does this actually mean? 
I want to get this right. Am I hearing you right on this? Use the best of yourself, your wisdom, your insight, your experience. Bring it to bear. And to be frank with you, you would be well advised to go to one or two close Christian friends and say, what do you make of this? What do you, what do you think of this? We, we spend, we spend uh, you know, generally more time trying to acquire revelations or visions or God speaking to us, rather like Boy Scouts getting a badge. Got another one this morning. See that? <laughs> yeah, then we do... But asking God what it means. What's this about? So press on in. Work at it. Work with the Holy Spirit to, to get the interpretation right, folks. You know, we all bring baggage to God and, I, and our relationship. There are things I would love God to say to me. And, and secretly, in my heart of hearts, I'm, you know, there are times when I say, I, I wonder if God will say that wonderful thing to me today. So if we're looking for God to say something in particular, if there's a particular word we're begging God to give us, we need to be careful. Because if we're not careful, anything will sound like the permission we needed to marry that person or go off to Guatemala or, or whatever or retire early or, or whatever the deal is that you're wanting God to say to you. You know, slow down. Ask God to give you the interpretation and work at it. There's hard work there. It's easier to get the word than to work out the interpretation. And then there's the third thing. And I would say to you, in my experience now, it's the third thing that so rarely gets done. And that's what Rick was talking about last week as much as anything. And the third thing is the application. You know, Jesus... Many of you will know this parable. Jesus said that the word of God is like seed. It's out there. It's broadcast. It's plain to see through circumstances, through nature, through the word of God, through something you heard on the radio, through the lyrics of a song. You name it, it's out there. It's hitting you in the face all the time. He's just casting the seed, the word of God, with gay abandon, if you will but listen and wise up to it. But the seed falls on a variety of different soils, most of them inhospitable. Dry, rocky ground, paths, birds whip them away, all sorts of things. It's only a relatively small percentage of God's word that falls into soft, fertile soil where it can flourish and grow and become a great tree. You see, pressing deeper, going deeper with God, going beyond our experience and expectations is risky and it's hard work. We need to be listening to God. We then need to be doing the hard work of interpretation and not being ashamed to go to, to those who are you know, older in the faith and saying, help me with this. I'm trying to work this one through. And then finally, when it's arrived, then it's all about application. All about application. How am I going to do this? What training do I need to get? What kind of resources, physical, material, emotional? Maybe I'm just so busted up I can barely blow my nose unless somebody tells me. You know, what do we need to get into place in order to apply this word that God is giving us? It sounds like hard work and it is hard work. All too often we just want an easy fix. Some little word from somebody we respect saying, God loves you, you're doing okay, keep it up, Chuck. 
You know, well, that may be the right word, to be honest. I'm not ruling anything out. But actually, when you're moving in the kingdom of God, when you're pursuing the love of God, when you're pressing into the things of God, do you know what? You often end up struggling with king posts. You often end up on a king post. You often end up on a king post, blooded and bleeding, because that's the way of the cross. You know, my prayer for us is that we'll go deeper and we'll draw people deeper and we, we will help people get deeper. I want us to be a church that hears the voice of God like those men of Issachar, those men of, and women of old who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. But more than that, I want us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. I want to see our kingdom come. His will be done. And, and really, I guess, the question I have to ask myself, I find myself at the foot of the cross. I have to go right back to basics. Ask myself the question, are we really listening? Are we Really listening. You know what I mean? Or we're just telling God what to say to us all the time. What we want to hear. Beyond words, folks. Let's stand and pray. Can I have the worship team up, please? Father God, I want to say thank you to you because you are speaking to us and it's wonderful that we serve a God who speaks, who communicates. Uh, Every single one of us here is in that place where we could hear from you if we were willing to hear from you. And I pray, Lord God, that we become more skilled in in the hearing your voice, more skilled in the really hearing your voice, being willing to do the, the hard work of interpretation And then really, really skilled in the hard work of applying your words. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.